Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, there. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her. In this episode, we'll discuss the third Sunday of Easter, which this year falls on April 23rd. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. So for this episode, we thought we would do a deep dive on Jesus's disciples, most of whom later become the apostles, also known as the Twelve. And since they do have these two names, disciple versus apostle, well, what's the difference? A disciple is simply someone's student learning from another person. And the Mm -hmm. disciples are called this for a fair amount of their time with Jesus. And then eventually Jesus gives the Great Commission and sends them out. And then after that, they are the apostles, the ones who are sent is what apostolos means. Mm -hmm. And as we go through the list of the disciples, almost all of whom eventually become the apostles, we'd just like to point out that the Bible does not always know the difference between all of these guys. It is sometimes even more fuzzy on the difference between the the people who share names with these guys. And so Mm -hmm. we are trying to make all of this make sense for you as much as we can, but we are not claiming to entirely get all of that either. We certainly don't claim any kind of divine knowledge that, you know, other sources don't have. And so if this is confusing, it's because we're confused, but we're doing our best. Indeed. Yeah. Like some of them are pretty clear cut and then the rest of them really don't. So we will tell you when we get to that You know, lots of things in the Bible. amazing strangely enough like jesus is very clear on not setting people on fire don't set people on fire that is the bad choice what i was gonna say sons of thunder (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, speaking mm -hmm. of the disciples yes and their need to learn speaking of which yeah there are some disciples slash apostles who don't actually change in any of the four gospels they're the same through all four gospels Mm -hmm. and the first one is well the first in our like randomized list to be clear the first is andrew who was born between 5 and 10 ce and was martyred in 60 ce and andrew's name means manhood or valor (laughs) i just thought that was funny andrew is in all of the gospels except for mark identified as simon peter's brother In Mark, he's his own man, (laughs) and he is one of the first disciples who Jesus calls. He's one of the ones in the, like, I will make you fish for people passage. And the Mm -hmm. legend from the Middle Ages says that he was martyred by being crucified in an X shape because he didn't think he deserved the same shape crucifixion as Jesus, which is a little bit weird, but you know, martyrs you know, martyr. I've always thought those stories, because there was another apostle that was crucified upside down, supposedly for the same reason. And I don't really yeah. see the Romans I as being the Peter, kinds of guys it? who would go to a lot of trouble to make special crosses for people. Like that does not seem like. Yeah. I think in general, there are multiple different kinds of crosses. Like there's yes. a lot of, wis- there's a lot of scholarship that says that Jesus was not crucified on a like plus type of cross or the sure. cross shape. Most of us associate with Jesus, but instead on more of a T shape. So I think, and this one, it definitely, the legend came up in the Middle Ages. Like that's where the first art depicting Andrew as in the shape of an X came up. So yeah, the Romans don't strike me as giving you preferences (laughs) on your crucifixion either. No personalization. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. Now I'm thinking of like, we'll add a Hello Kitty here (laughs) and a Care Bear there. Like adding, what are they called? The charms to your Crocs. 
Yeah. So that they can. <laughs> yep. That's anyway, a whole new also. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so the Acts of Andrew, which is mentioned by Eusebius and Epiphanius and others, is apocryphal, but it is among the group of like the Acts of the Apostles that are attributed to Leucius Charinus. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing any of those right, but in the Acts of the Apostles, which is probably written mid-2nd century, it depicts Andrew's travels, supposed travels throughout the world. So if you want to dive deeper into Andrew, check out the Acts of Andrew. It's apocryphal, but then again, the Bible is a lot of stories passed on and on and on and on in a long game of telephone, so... Who knows what's real? Yeah. <laughs> the kind of certainty that you expect from nerds at church. And ancient historical records. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, so also, Andrew's brother, Simon Peter, not usually called mm-hmm. Andrew's brother, although he was called a lot of things, including Simon, mm-hmm. Peter, Simon Peter, Cephas, or Rock, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> the name Cephas, by the way, is just the Greek word for rock. But mm-hmm. weirdly, a lot of times when people are using it as Peter's name in the Bible, because it was given to, as him by Jesus, they don't translate it into rock. They just call him Cephas, which confuses the heck out of most of the people who do scripture readings in any church I've ever worked at. So I like to clarify that. And he died sometime between 64 and 68 CE, the common era. Mm-hmm. Also, I like to clarify on his name, rock, that it is not clear if he is the rock upon which Jesus builds the church or the box of rocks that (laughs) Jesus gets annoyed with a lot. Yeah. So, you know, lots of options. Probably not, however, the same as Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Like, different people. Probably not. Although, yeah, I don't you know, think he ever became Dwayne known. Johnson, if you are an immortal being who used to be known as Simon Peter, please call our podcast and let us know. We would be super interested. Like, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, he's Black Adam, so. Yeah, not, not completely. Goes yeah. back the ways. Anyway, Simon Peter was also known as the Keeper of the Keys, which is to say the keys to the gates of heaven. He was very impulsive. He was a rebuker and the rebuked. He was the guy who denied Jesus three times and then afterwards got annoyed by being asked the same number of times if he loved Jesus. And he was also thought to be the first bishop person, the first person in charge of the church after Jesus ascended. Mm -hmm. Certainly one of the first disciples recruited by Jesus, along with his brother Andrew, and another one of those fisher of people people. And we listed him second because he's Mm -hmm. almost always listed first and, you know, the first shall be last, etc. And he probably did not actually write first or second Peter, which is to say the books in the Bible, but they were associated with his name for other reasons. Yes. And that's also why when you hear us do summaries of First Peter, as we've been doing in this Easter season, we don't say Peter wrote, we say the author, because we don't know who the yeah. author is. And saying the author sounds a lot more official and professional than saying, and somebody wrote. <laughs> somebody? Yes, indeed. So the next two disciples that appear in all four Gospels have also a variety of kind of iterations of themselves. My favorite iteration is the Sons of Thunder, (laughs) also known as Boanerges. I made up that Greek pronunciation, but it sounds right. I mean, to be fair, I think it started as Aramaic, so I think the Greeks probably made up the pronunciation. Probably. Anyway, the Sons of Thunder are also the sons of Zebedee and 
presumably, at least in some gospels, Salome, who may or may not be related to Mary, the mother Mm -hmm. of Jesus. So the first of the sons of thunder is James the Greater, which means like the taller or the older, not the better, despite his best efforts. And James is also known as Jacob. So that's like where that name comes from. Also, if you're talking about Spanish, it's Santiago, which does not correlate from English to Spanish the way that a lot of the other names do. So I like to point that out. He was the second apostle to die, Judas being the first, and he was the first martyr. He died in 44 CE, and he is probably not connected to the epistle that bears his name because he died so young that probably it was a different James that they were talking about and interacting with. And then John, James's brother, lived from about 6 to 100 CE, and was probably the youngest disciple, also the only one to die of natural causes, presumably. And he was probably not actually the author of the Gospel of John, the three Johannine epistles, or the Book of Revelation. It is widely known that the Book of Revelation, as we talk about in our Revelation episode, which we'll link to, that Revelation is written by a different John, John of Patmos, and not the same as the Gospel writer or the Epistle writer. It is less clear if the Gospel of John and the epistles are written by the same person, but probably not. But... Yeah, there are lots of Johns. Little, there yeah. are almost as many Johns as there are Jameses, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's just like each of those individually. And then together, they are the second set of siblings called by Jesus in this I will make you fish for people thing. They are two of the triumvirate with Peter. I don't know what triumvirate actually means, but it's like the trifecta is what I would say today. But James, John, and Peter form the trifecta that is present for a lot of the like really big important stuff for Jesus. So that's the raising of Jairus's daughter in Mark, the transfiguration, Jesus' agony in the garden of Gethsemane in Matthew, those sorts of things. And they are probably fairly well known, most well known for wanting power, either them or their mom wanting it for them, to sit at Jesus's right and left hands. And then also wanting to call down fire on a Samaritan town. Yes. To which Jesus says, no, no. Don't, don't set people, set people on people fire. On fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So as we go down this list, by the way, we know somewhat less about some of these disciples than others. And so we don't always have the same amount or the same kind of information for all of them. But next we have <laughs> Philip. Philip spells his name with one L and one P at the end. The book Philippians, on the other hand, named after the town of Philippi, spells its name with one L and two P's toward the end, but not at the end. And Philip the Apostle is not to be confused with Philip the Evangelist, who appears in the books of Acts, who was appointed with Stephen to oversee the contributions of the church and met with and baptized the Ethiopian servant of the Candace in Acts. Philip the Apostle mostly appears in the book of John, and Jesus talks to him just prior to the feeding of the 5,000, and also he's the one who asks Jesus about God the Father during the Last Supper. He doesn't show up a ton, but he is very frequently confused with Philip the Evangelist, another Christian Mm -hmm. in Acts. And so since they tend to get conflated, he tends to appear fairly high on the list of apostles. Yeah. I was going to say, when you said not to be confused with, I was like, by which we mean is frequently confused with. Yeah. 
even by us up until we were preparing for this yeah i can never remember which philip is which yeah i'm sure they are both perfectly nice people or you know Mm -hmm. were and they were were kids it's been a while Mm -hmm. yeah they did not make our list of resurrected people in the bible (laughs) no no and then our next disciple slash apostle is one of my particular faves thomas aka didymus aka the twin also sometimes called judas thomas or jude because again all the names thomas who is also called the twin died in 72 ce and he is most commonly known as an equal opportunity disbeliever which is to say doubting thomas is not an accurate nickname stop calling him that be kind the rest of the disciples didn't believe mary and the other marys and women and had to see jesus for themselves and then they get mad when thomas just like doesn't believe the disciples any more than he believes the marys so it's just like a equal opportunity disbeliever. Also, I think that Thomas was blind for a variety of reasons that I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, but mostly that you have. it's called the twin. There's a lot of like sight versus touch stuff. Jesus comes to him where he's at. It's great. I love Thomas as blind and not in need of like healing or anything. Also, the other main things that Thomas is known for is being ready to die with either Jesus or Lazarus, depending on who the pronoun refers to in John 11, and being clueless where to go in John 14. His equal opportunity disbelieving leads to his great proclamation of faith in Jesus as my Lord and my God in John 20. And after the crucifixion and resurrection, the stories of Thomas are that Thomas actually went to India and shared the news of Jesus in India. The Maratoma Church, based heavily in Kerala, India, in southern India, is named after Thomas. And supposedly he made it to India in about 52 CE. And at some point, while he was probably in India, he was killed by a spear. So that's how he was martyred. And there is a Gospel of Thomas that was written that's again the apocrypha it calls him judas thomas and it is you know if you want to learn some more you can check it out yeah and the next person in our list was a disciple but not an apostle which is to say judas iscariot he gets a bad rap on a regular basis he is really a much more deep and interesting character than he is often portrayed. You should definitely check out this year's episode of Palm Sunday, where we did a deep dive on him. We went into quite a bit of depth with him Mm -hmm. there. And of course, the absolute best portrayal of Judas was by Carl Anderson, Jesus Christ Superstar. And Judas was a disciple, but not an apostle, and is therefore paralleled with his replacement, Matthias, who was chosen by the apostles after Judas's death or disappearance, depending on gospel we're talking about. Again, check out the Palm Sunday episode. And Matthias, we know a lot less about, but was apparently one of the 70 rather than one of the 12 and was chosen by a replacement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's also some conversation within the, like, who is Judas's replacement that the apostles pick Matthias. And there's some conversation about, like, is Paul picked by God as the actual replacement apostle in God's time instead of in the apostle's anxious time? Or is Paul a 13th apostle? Because Paul is definitely understood to be an apostle too. So there's there's some, some yeah. questions around that as well. And you can check out our deep dive into Paul for more on that. Yeah. So 
That is the list of all of the disciples and or apostles whose names do not change between the various Gospels. And now we're heading into the more interesting list of the disciples who vary a lot and are just generally more confusing. Mm -hmm. But specifically, let's start with a couple who are disciples and apostles who change their names between the four Gospels, depending on which Gospel. So first off, mm -hmm. we have Thaddeus, who is also sometimes known as Jude or the other Judas is not the Iscari Iscariot. So in mm -hmm. Mark and Matthew, we have Thaddeus, who is a possible nickname for Jude Thaddeus, especially with the bad rap that Judas got. And possibly this is also the same as Thaddeus of Edessa, who was one of the 70 before the 12 got chosen. And also sometimes he is known as Jude or the other Judas. In Matthew and Mark, he's called Jude in Luke and Acts and also the Gospel of John, he is called the other Judas, who's not Iscariot. And for some reason, some translations of the Gospel of Matthew call him Judas the Zealot, uh, as opposed to Judas of Iscariot. But it kind of sounds like that's just bad translating from what I've read. Hmm. And so he should not be called that in the book of Matthew. The Catholic Church says that Jude, son of James, in Luke Acts and Judas, the not Iscariot of John, and also the Jude, the brother of Jesus in Matthew and Mark, and the author of the book of the Bible, Jude, are all for the same person. For the Protestants, we're more likely to claim that Jude, son of James in Luke Acts, and Judas, the not Iscariot in the Gospel of John, are two separate people, and the other two are just completely unclear, and we have no idea. <laughs> so... Like I said, more like confusing. Do. Here we are. Yep, indeed. And then the other kind of pair of disciple. <laughs> yep, pair of disciple. Two, two faces, one person. Not exactly yeah. the Trinity, but sort of. Two we're names, not saying they're two-faced. That's different. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Is Bartholomew and Nathaniel. So Bartholomew is identified in the Synoptic Gospels in the Book of Acts. Bartholomew means son of Talmai, which is also son of the furrows, which I don't even know, but fascinating. Sure. Bartholomew is also connected to India, though not in the quite the same way as Thomas is. And then Nathaniel only shows up in John, and Bartholomew does not show up in John. And Nathaniel means God has given, and he is friends with Philip and from Bethsaida. And initially, he's a skeptic, asking, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus praises that by saying that he is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So, you know, tell the truth and don't be so polite that you don't speak up or something. And that encounter leads to Nathaniel calling Jesus the son of God, the king of Israel. And Nathaniel then also shows up in the Gospel of John at the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection, but doesn't really have a named role apart from that, though presumably is part of the disciples for all four Gospels. Yeah. Well, Nathaniel for John and Bartholomew for the other two. And then we have the disciples and apostles who are only named in the Synoptic Gospels because the Gospel of John is weird. <laughs> Notice how I was polite and I didn't say that the Gospel of John is terrible. You're welcome. And... <laughs> So these guys we really don't have a lot on and they are more confusing and I wound up being the person to look into them and because I have no idea if my notes will make any sense whatsoever to Emily, I just said I would cover them for this episode. So I'll just go through them real quick. First we have Matthew, also sometimes known as Levi. Matthew is called Matthew the Publican in the 
Gospel of Matthew, a publican is a tax collector and also sometimes other things in ancient Israel. And then he is known as Matthew or Levi in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, which is to say that Jesus specifically comes and calls a guy named Levi to be a disciple. And then later on, a disciple is called Matthew. And we are apparently assuming that that is Levi. It is just genuinely unclear on why we assume those two are the same, but I'm guessing it has something to do with like someone did process of elimination, figured that they had to be the same one in order for there to be 12 of the 12. Hmm. And he's only ever known as Matthew in the book of Acts. He's also quite often called, historically speaking, Matthew the Evangelist, due to the traditional theory that he wrote the Gospel of Matthew, but most biblical scholars reject that these days. And he probably traveled to a variety of other countries after Jesus' ascension, including, but not limited to Ethiopia, but like no one can agree on what any of the other were aside from Ethiopia. So he went to Ethiopia. Who knows? And was eventually. Like you do. Yes. And then we have what I am absolutely certain is the single most confusing of the disciples' apostles, which is to say (laughs) James the Younger, also known as James the Lesser, also known as James the son of Alphaeus. Now, this James, not James the son of Thunder, not James the son of Zebedee, but instead other James, as that one Doctor Who episode with other Dave (laughs) Silence in the Library called him. Mm-hmm. This guy probably shares his dad with the disciple Matthew in the Gospel of Mark. He also apparently, according to both Matthew and Mark, has a brother who is named either Joseph or Joseph, which like being known by both of those names in biblical times is not completely out of the woods or unlikely that mm-hmm. those names are similar enough that they were just used as the same name quite often. Mm-hmm. And Joseph, Joseph, he probably shares a mom with, but we're unclear on whether he shares both parents with Matthew or Joseph Joseph. This is also very clearly not James the Just, which is the nickname that the brother of Jesus was known by, but he might be Jesus's cousin if the theory that his mom, Mary, is the sister of Mary, Jesus's mom, because having two daughters named Mary in biblical times was also not impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Assuming that Alphaeus, his dad, was also called Clopas, which apparently a lot of ancient authors do assume that that was the same guy. But for those who accept the perpetual virginity of Mary and the idea that she never had any other children other than Jesus, this could instead be Jesus's brother James, who would biologically have been his cousin, because that's how that theory works, that Jesus's brothers were actually his cousins, but maybe raised in the same household because someone involved died. And because, you know, family was not a nuclear thing. They might all have been raised in the same general household compound kind of thing. Yeah. So both James the Lesser and James the Just were stoned to death by Judeans. That is how they both died. And so that was, historically speaking, seen as a mark in favor of that theory that they might have actually been the same person, but only as long as Mary's perpetual virginity was true. (laughs) also known as that's what the catholic church said and the gospel authors will sometimes or often not specify which james they're talking about and so really who knows what on earth he might have done (laughs) because (laughs) this is the most confusing apostle and okay so question wait question on clopas on whether i have any answers but yeah that's fault that's fine alpheus who was also called clopas is this the same as cleopas 
who is in our gospel for today? If So Alpheus and Clopas, the Clopas refers to Mary, the wife of Clopas, at the end of Luke, who accompanies Mary to mm. the cross. And so if that Clopas is the same as Clopius, who shows up in the road to Emmaus, and I have heard various stories that he might. But again, mm-hmm. like only so many names in biblical times, not nearly enough to go around. And so maybe, okay. yeah, it's, yeah. But as I'm sure we will get to when we actually get to the road to Emmaus, there is also a theory that the person walking along with Cleopas at the road to Emmaus story is his wife, who then mm-hmm. would have been very possibly named Mary because mm-hmm. lots of people were named. So like maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, we did not promise that this would make any sense. <laughs> So we're doing our best. And then finally, the slightly less confusing, but also lesser known disciple apostle known as Simon the Canaanite in Matthew and Mark and Simon the Zealot in Luke and Acts. Simon, also known as not Simon Peter. It turns out (laughs) that there is a word in Hebrew that Canaanite is related to and also means zealous. And so it's possible that like Simon the Canaanite and Simon the Zealot are totally the same person and there were just some like misspellings along the way and all Hmm. three of the gospels meant to say Simon the Zealot or Simon the Canaanite but there were enough misspellings. Interesting. And this might be Joseph's son and also Jesus's brother mentioned in Mark chapter 6 but again not super clear but there is in Mark chapter 6 a brother of Jesus named Simon. This disciple also traveled extensively after Jesus's ascension and was eventually martyred with Jude the apostle, but tradition varies as to where he went. Most agree that he and Jude were martyred in Lebanon, but they are paired together and they share a Catholic day. Interesting. And again, check our deep dive into Paul for more on Paul and what his role is in terms of disciple, apostle, yes, apostle to the Gentiles, all of that. But that is the 12, or approximately 12, as close as we could get. Ish. (laughs) Yes. Ish. So, again, Christians, not always good at math. That's true. We're terrible at math. And then the one who you also probably are wondering about if you paid attention to our Gospel of John deep dive is the beloved disciple who appears in the second half of the Gospel of John. Supposedly, the beloved disciple is the author of the Gospel of John and may be connected to the first through third John epistles. But that's kind of, you don't know that. Maybe, maybe not. It's possible that it was the Samaritan woman who wrote the Gospel of John, which also makes it possible that the Samaritan woman was the beloved disciple. You know, the one that he flirted with at the well, the place of courtship? Mm Mm-hmm. So there are lots of possibilities on who the beloved disciple is. Obviously, our patriarchal tradition says it must be John, and John is the gospel writer and all of those things. That is possible. It is the least fun of the options. So some people think it's John. I personally love the idea that the beloved disciple is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, because if you read it from a, like, queer beloved in the, like sexual romantic partnership kind of way there's just this beautiful like the resurrection story on the sea of galilee it's just this fantastic thing where they're like all hanging out on the boat fishing and then jesus appears and simon peter is the like younger brother and and so andrews everybody recognizes jesus and simon peter's like yes 
Jesus and like immediately throws on his clothes and races, swims to the shore to see, you know, his brother's cool boyfriend. And Andrew is like, okay, you died and just ghosted for three days and now you're back and you want everything to be fine? You can wait until the boat gets to the shore. So I just love the like snarky gayness of that possibility for who the beloved disciple is. One of the other traditions holds that Mary Magdalene is the beloved disciple. That holds true with how important Mary Magdalene has been in the Gospel of John, particularly given what we talked about in our discussion on the fifth Sunday in Lent, when we talked about how Mary and Martha were probably actually just Mary, and that the move to Mary and Martha was probably a move to decrease the importance of Mary Magdalene. So if we think about that and the ways that Mary Magdalene's importance has been decreased throughout church history, then her being the beloved disciple in the Gospel of John makes some sense. And then the fifth-ish possibility for a beloved disciple is Lazarus, Mary's brother, or Mary and Martha's brother. And that kind of holds through that, like, Lazarus is named up until the resurrection, and then I think after that or after Mary anoints Jesus' feet, then that's when the beloved disciple starts to be named as the beloved disciple and we don't see Lazarus show up again. So Lazarus is the other of the five-ish options for beloved disciple. Sure. Also, if it is not clear to you, which it probably isn't because we didn't tell you, we chose to do a deep dive into the disciples in part because we haven't yet. (laughs) (laughs) That counts. But also a bunch of different disciples and apostles show up in different ways in our readings, whether it's Peter, who has such a prominent role in Acts, or First Peter, which is not authored by Peter, or yes. the disciples Cleopas and whoever is with Cleopas in our Luke reading. So there's just like a lot of different possibilities. And so we figured it was about time that we dove into the disciples. Yes, absolutely. Also, I think we briefly looked into the concept of doing a deep dive on the town of Emmaus, and that really just did not go anywhere. (laughs) So, uh, Yeah, though we could do time because the road to Emmaus, that travel, seven hours one way, one hour back, that's better than a TARDIS. I Don't tell the doctor I said that. I'm so confused right now. In the gospel reading, it takes them like all day to get to Emmaus and then an hour to get back. Well, it's seven miles. Like, running seven miles in an hour is, well, a lot, but not impossible. Yeah, but, like, taking all day to walk seven miles is a long, long time. I, I'm so confused. Okay, so, moving on. So, being that we're nerds at church, let's talk about some pop culture references for Jesus' disciples, or the concept of disciples in general, or just things that remind us of the disciples. And I have to say, when I realized that we were first doing our deep dive into the disciples and apostles today, my very first thing that came to mind was that scene from the beginning of the movie Sister Act, in (laughs) which the nun that is her teacher asks the main character to list the disciples in alphabetical order, and she promptly goes up to the blackboard and writes John, Paul, George, and Ringo. And clearly that is her acting out. I also remember thinking as a very tiny child who had been attending Sunday school loyally for years because I didn't really have a lot of choice in the matter that uh, I wondered, see, the thing is, as she goes up to the blackboard to write those things down, as soon as she starts writing, the nun smiles 
And I kind of wonder if that's because it's obvious from the very second letter that she writes that she's going to get the answer wrong because she's told to write the disciples in alphabetical order. And there is no way that you can write the disciples in alphabetical order and have the first name be John. <laughs> so I always wondered if maybe the nun was smiling because she knew she'd get to tell her that she was wrong. But mm, It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. Also, I talk about it a lot. Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal by Christopher Moore. Is a great, hilarious, like irreverent <laughs> telling of the gospel and of followers of Christ. And Biff is also named Levi. And so like, that's where they kind of pull out Levi from Matthew. And sure. that becomes they all have but, names. Yeah, but it is great and irreverent. Yeah. Also, when I started thinking of characters that reminded me of the disciples rather than direct references, I immediately thought of the characters known as the Ducklings from the TV show House. They mm -hmm. are House's first set of fellowship doctors, and basically he is their mentor. And there are three of them, and they follow House around all the time. And they are also all slightly shorter than House, and they are usually walking mm -hmm. just behind House and in a little bit of a line. And so they really do look like Ducklings. It's very cute. <laughs> Also, the Camino de Santiago, which is a very well-known pilgrimage route, is the basically like the path of St. James. And so that's an actual thing that a lot of people go there to do a pilgrimage. You mm -hmm. can start at various points along the road. I think it would be cool to go there, but yeah, it's in Spain because, you know, Spanish language name and stuff. Yeah. And it goes through multiple countries, but Spain sure. as well. And then as we were in the process of doing the research for this deep dive, I was also reminded of a bit from the second episode of the TV show New Heart, which I grew up watching mm -hmm. on Nick at Night, which mm -hmm. is when a character walks in with his two brothers and introduces them as, hi, I'm Larry, this is my brother Daryl, and my other brother Daryl. And <laughs> the James is just absolutely yeah yeah that's that's valid sure absolutely why not mary's so on also also as i'm looking at it larry and daryl are only off by one letter they just take the yeah. l two letters from the yeah, end the, yeah. and replace the d and yep. it's the same name fascinating also the book eli which is a novel of like a modernish day jesus goes through like all of the disciples and like one of the main characters is one of the disciples. I haven't read it in forever, so I'm not confident in terms of their theological bend of the book. It seems like kind of one of those must-confess-Jesus-as-Lord kind of theologies, so take it with a grain of salt. But I enjoyed it when I was, you know, one of those college kids at a Christian college who worked at a Christian camp and stuff. Yeah. And then, as many of you may already know, of course, there are oodles and oodles and oodles of relics and or what claim to be relics of the various disciples and apostles around the world. It's much along the same lines as how there are so many fragments of the true cross, as it were, that you could build a whole forest with them. And I... <laughs> I've never heard that and I love it. Oh, I've heard that expression several times, yes. And I don't know what that means about... I suppose that means that there are probably enough relics of the disciples that you could make a whole valley of dry bones out of them. But Ooh, I, I haven't heard I was going to say, before. rebuild the 70. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, take those with a grain of salt as that goes. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea how one would even begin to try to authenticate that kind of thing. I do not either. And thankfully, it's not our job. Amen. But what is our job is continuing on. 
Also, clearly, we've missed some of the like wonderful examples of disciples in pop culture and things. So if you have other ideas, let us know who, what your favorite, you know, big references to disciples are or Anyway, diving into our readings for this episode, our first reading is Acts chapter 2, verse 14a, which is just the Hey Peter is talking part, and verses 36 through 41. Having preached the gospel to the crowd gathered on Pentecost, Peter encourages them to repent and be baptized, and the church grows exponentially. So, One of the themes for this passage is I just love the idea of Peter as like the original street corner preacher minus all of the doomsday, right? Where he's just like- A little of the doomsday. Like like he still has a little of the doomsday. I mean, yeah, I guess. But, or he could be like the troubadours on Gilmore Girls who are like standing on the street corner playing their guitar and telling folks what's going on to music. Yeah. Also, you know, mm-hmm. not making any necessary statements about the troubadours or about street preachers, but like Peter is very clear that he's not drunk, okay? Totally <laughs> not drunk. And like I, I don't know if he may have been under the influence of some other type of substance, but not drunk. Definitely not drunk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in verse 36, we read, Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made Jesus, both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. And as I read this, I thought that, you know, the Bible loves topsy-turvy stories. The first shall be Mm -hmm. last, the last shall be first, the top will drop to the bottom. And it it reminded me of the character Agatha Heterodyne in the webcomic Girl Genius. She grew up thinking that her name was Agatha Clay and that she was a perfectly normal person who was a not very good student at her university and she had perfectly normal parents. And then she found out that she was heir to a family of mad scientists who also ruled a fairly terrifying city and her life got much more complicated. So very much a topsy story. Indeed, indeed. And then in verse 37, we read, Now when the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, siblings, what should we do? So I was trying to think of like, because I love the language of cut to the heart, right? And there are some speeches that like cut to the heart but I couldn't think of any any of them. But I was reminded of in the book Faith-Rooted Organizing by Alexia Salvatierra. One of the actions they do is to do a Maundy Thursday foot washing of hotel housekeepers' feet in front of the hotel. And they just pick like, I think, six of them. But it's during a struggle for better pay and conditions for the housekeepers. And so there's this like, the imagery, right, that cuts to the core even more directly than any words that Peter might say, or like when we did on the first anniversary of COVID, when we tried to deliver a casket full of flowers for all of the people that had died in Iowa to the governor, and then the governor's aide would not accept the flowers. So, Hmm. right, but like the pictures from that, right, of the staffer, like pointing us out and refusing, just cut to the heart of what is happening and of the kind of emotional and spiritual impact and claim that we're making in those things. So. Yeah. And then in verse 40, we read, and Peter testified with many other arguments and exhorted them saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And I mean, there are a bunch of people on TikTok who do this, but like, there's always like this generation hates the next generation, hates the next generation. And I think like millennials are trying really hard to like break that 
cycle. We love Gen Z. Gen Z is amazing. Yes. But there's this one guy on TikTok who I adore. And he does the generations talking to each other. So like when they have, they're talking about like floppy disks and and Gen Z is like, this is just a save icon. And they're like, no, you put it in the computer and it does this. Yeah. It's hilarious because there's just so much that is like so poignantly, oh, this is a generational difference or like disposable cameras and like, oh, even digital cameras that are not phones. It's hilarious. It's like BMO the Prince or something. I don't know. I'll try and find him and Link. Uh, Yeah, when you were talking about that, I was thinking that eventually we will find the ultimate meme in that someone will finally assign the various generations to the astrological sign and then have been possibly someone's already done that. And in verse 41, we read, so those who welcomed Peter's message were baptized. And that day, about 3000 persons were added. Okay, so I get that they were doing this near the river, specifically, I believe, near the Jordan River. The Jordan River is a very large, very wide, fairly shallow river. But mm-hmm. 3,000 is a lot of people. <laughs> like, uh-huh. that, that is a lot, a lot. And so I was trying to think of what kind of scenes reminded me of this. And I mean, yes, of course, I immediately thought of the Israelites escaping the Egyptians. But also, you, you don't really get the sense of the absolute mess that would happen from that because the, the water is removed, you know. <laughs> and strangely mm-hmm. enough, the bottom of the river bed for that story is always nice and dry and not just absolute impossible mud which would have slowed the Egyptians down quite a bit too yeah and so when I was thinking of this the scene that came to mind was a few years ago Tom Cruise did a movie version of the War of the Worlds and there is a scene in that movie where he and his kids and also this one lady who he apparently vaguely knew at work and her daughter were (laughs) trying to get on this ferry to cross a river well it's sort of a they were trying to show that he had an actual life like he accidentally bumps into this woman oh i know uh, you and so they were trying to add some gotcha. to character and they're trying <laughs> to get on this ferry to cross a river and there are all of these people it is a huge crowd and kind of like in terms of the sheer absolute mess that it would have been that that scene is i think pretty on the nose so hmm, nice i was thinking of as you were talking i was like oh it's like the elephants towards the end of the rainy season when the they've been like in the like what zone for a while and they've been drinking and splashing and getting mud on them and stuff and then there's just like the the water slowly is drying up and so it's and then eventually it's just like um massive amounts of mud covering all of the elephants and making it hard for the baby elephants to walk sure. yeah similar idea yes absolutely also i'm absolutely not surprised that you would find a way to bring elephants in you know me <laughs> And our second reading for this episode is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 23. The author reminds us that because Jesus died for all of us, we are called to love one another in response. So one of the themes for this passage is the idea of interrupting generational cycles, right? The author is talking about the difference that Jesus makes, the way that Jesus interrupts life as it is. And in I was talking to Susanna about this passage because I was having trouble with it and she reminded me that in Battlestar Galactica it is Hera's blood who is a child of both a Cylon and a human that breaks the cycles of harm between Cylons and humans because they've been in this like perpetual cycle of harming each other and destroying everything and then restarting and it is her and in particular her blood which has like special fancy properties that starts 
something new. Cool. So as we jump into the verses, in verse 17, we read, If you invoke as father the one who judges all peaceful in all people impartially according to their deeds live in reverent fear during the time of your exile and i was thinking about this concept of god who judges all people impartially and it reminded me of an idea that the science fiction author robert heinlein came up with which was the idea of a fair witness both of those words being capitalized this was sort of a a job that he imagined which was a person who was trained to only state things that they actually knew were true without making any assumptions in the process. So the scene where this idea is introduced is he asks a woman named Anne, who is looking out of a window, what color did they paint the house up the hill? And she looks through the window, clearly sees the house that he's talking about, and turns back and says, the side facing us is painted white. She is not making any assumptions about what the other sides of the house are painted, because she can only see the Uh one side. And she also very clearly does not state that the house has been white for any length of time or that it will remain white for any length of time. Mm -hmm. For all she knows, the house may be painted again tomorrow. But at the moment, it is, as she puts it, I think, it is white. And that is expanded on in a few of his other books, but that was introduced in his novel, A Citizen of the Galaxy. Mm. And then in verse 18, we read, You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold. Susanna and I were talking about this, and so often there's like this focus on like, you were ransomed, therefore this is the future. And we rarely pay attention to what were the futile ways, right? And this is like in this passage, it's not just looking to the future. It's also like doing the hard work of looking back and looking at the past. And the radio program, Dear White People, feels like that, like that it is about looking at the history of the university that they're at and how the past of the university is still impacting the students in the university today. And that's part of like all arguments for reparations and critical race theory and teaching actual history, all of that stuff. But yeah. And then in verse 22, we read, now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. And when it comes to examples of genuine mutual love, that reminded me of, you know, say, like jumping in front of a sword to save your sister, like (laughs) Anna did in Frozen. Mm. And then in verse 23, we read, you have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. And seeds don't exactly perish. Like, I guess they kind of could, but the actual way for seeds to continue is to be planted, to be used in order for the continuation of the life of the plant. So it is like that, like, seeds are not in the realm of perishable versus imperishable, but instead of, like, needing to perish in order to live. And then our gospel reading for this episode is Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. In a timey-wimey encounter, Jesus walks to Emmaus with two strangers and then vanishes when they realize who Jesus is in the breaking of the bread. So one of the themes in this passage is obviously the idea of bread and breaking bread. And for more on bread, you should definitely check out our Bread of Life series, which we will link to for you in our episode description. But also I was thinking about this and it's still Passover in this time. And so I was like, well, 
is the breaking of the bread matzah? Or I saw Rabbi Becky tweeted something about Passover pancakes, which intrigued me. And then I was like, maybe they should do a Great British Bake Off Passover edition with like no leavening allowed. Absolutely. That would be excellent. I think it would be really. Yeah. So as we jump into the verses in verse 13, we read, Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And the average walking speed of a healthy adult is about three miles an hour. And that's, you know, walking with some purpose. You're not ambling, but you're uh, also not power walking. And so this walk would have probably taken a little over two hours. So, yeah, they, they have plenty of time to, for them to have all of these various conversations that they go through. Also, it, like, but it takes them, like, a day to do this walk. Okay, hang on. I'll go back and read. I mean, no. They're they're talking about something that happened in the early morning, but it's never actually stated when they leave Jerusalem. Hmm. I have always heard this as a like it takes all day for them to walk there and then they get back super fast well it doesn't say that they get back super fast either it says that they leave to go back to jerusalem the same hour that jesus left them but it doesn't say how fast they get back i think someone you spoke to about this passage was very confused or didn't read it very closely interesting so yeah it, it would have taken them about two hours to get there and if they were in a hurry on the way back they probably could have gotten back in maybe a little over an hour but fast wow so, example like of people Bible. saying things are in the Bible that are not actually in the Bible. Hi, that's me. Oops. Well, presumably you were told this by someone else. I'm, I'm assuming. Well, you yes, that's that's like yeah. pretty much always how it happens. But well, that's true. Yes. Well, maybe not such a timey wimey encounter after all. Anyway. Oh, are you the person who added that in? I was wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah, that was me, because I was like, timey me, because it takes forever, and then they're back in like an hour. Wow. Okay. I mean, yeah. Fascinating. Okay. Well, Did I just, like, destroy some giant piece of your understanding of the Bible, or? (laughs) Yep, yep. I'm just wrapping my head around it. I'll catch up. Sure, that's fine. In verse 16, we read that their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus, and it reminded me of, like, those times when it's hard to recognize people in the wild, right? Where you're like encountering somebody from church at the grocery store or like even more so when kids see teachers outside of school and it's like, what? You have a life outside of like, it. A, sometimes I don't actually recognize people, but also like when you finally do, then it's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And then in verse 18, we read, Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know these things that have taken place there in these days? Okay, so as it happens, Jesus comes across Cleopas and whoever is with him. And Jesus asks them what they're talking about, and Cleopas Mm -hmm. starts to explain, and it turns out that they are, in fact, actually talking about Jesus. My question is, how many people before this had Jesus gone up to and asked, so what you talking (laughs) about? And it turned out that they were just talking about, you know, family gossip, or what they had for dinner last night, or did you hear that wild story about Pilate the governor, or, you know, completely (laughs) unrelated topics. Like, presumably not everyone on the road between Jerusalem and Emmaus were having exactly this conversation. Now, yes, of course, it's possible that Jesus went and looked for these people because he knew them or because he, being God and all, would actually know that they were having this conversation. <laughs> but I kind of like the idea of Jesus, you know, running along the road between the two towns, looking for different people and, and trying to find one that we're talking about him. 
it, it just amuses me. I love that. But I love the idea of like all of those conversations that happen. Well, yeah, because not all conversations in real life are related to the plot that you happen to personally be talking about. Like there are always Seinfeld-like conversations about nothing going on somewhere. So. Mm -hmm. Truth. So then in verse 27, we read, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them the things about Jesus' own self in all the scriptures. Which raises the question. So in one of my college classes, we talked about exegesis and eisegesis. And exegesis is bringing the text into your current context, and eisegesis is bringing yourself or your context into the scripture. And I have this like vivid memory of my college roommate writing down exo and then Jesus and iso and Jesus <laughs> in that for this, but it raises the question of, is it exegesis or eisegesis if Jesus is the one putting Jesus' own self into all the texts and bringing them to the te like contemporary time at the same time? Yeah. Both I don't know. How does Jesus being the Logos work? Right? It's a like mystery. if you're with the word, so you can't really put yourself... I don't know. And now for our walkiest segment... <laughs> Not necessarily walk a walk a walk segment, but walk east. Oh segment. my gosh, that's fantastic. walk a walk a walk segment. Let's make them up. It's musical. <laughs> Emily, did you have anyone from the Muppets who you would like to cast for our readings today? I'm still on walk a walk a walk segment. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Okay, so, I mean, if we're doing this, I want to, of course, cast... The road to Emmaus and then it's there have to be two people walking so the most obvious answer is obviously Bert and Ernie oh as yes, Cleopas and Cleopas's buddy slash spouse slash partner yeah those that would be my like automatic casting sure. what about you I was thinking about the Acts passage and the baptizing of the 3000 and if the Muppets were going to do that my immediate thought is you go to the classic Muppet show version of the Muppets and you have the camera pan out backwards over the audience and so the audience is your first chunk of people including you know Statler and Waldo and they would all have to come down to get baptized and then of course all the extras from backstage would start coming such as the chickens and the vegetables and the yip yips and all of the other characters that you don't see too often like New Zealand and so forth and I don't even know like I'm sure that they'd have probably a couple of hundred Muppets available for something like that but yeah like, but not how, 3, you, how far out would you have to pull the camera to get up to thousand and did they even Oof. have 3,000 Muppets made at any one time? I doubt it but you could just like once they get baptized you just put them at the back of the line and put a hat yeah, on and them. run them through again absolutely that is totally how the Muppets would have no, you put a you put a mole on them and then Oh yes, the evil yes, exactly. And then Yes, absolutely. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter. This podcast has been produced by us, Emily Ewing and Kay Roloff. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. It's much cheaper than flying to Israel and walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus to find out how long it actually takes. <laughs> it's true and probably has far fewer 
roadblock. Yes, absolutely. Also, let us know on Facebook or Twitter who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets musical for this episode. As the ancient Christians said, Pox Phobiscum.